Wings Early Career Recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. Okay, hello and welcome to the first ever live podcast, the Jack and Ollie Show at the IC Conference 2019. <laughs> How about that, eh? All that, all that. Oh, still cheering oh, as well. Come on, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Oh, we just had that just in case you didn't cheer. Um, so we want to say um, hello and welcome. Uh, I'm Jack. Uh, anyone who doesn't know me, um, uh, I'm the, one of the co-founders of All About Group and a co-presenter on the Jack and Ollie show. I'm the, the Jack part. <laughs> Uh, and I'm the Ollie part, uh, so Ollie Sidwell, co-founder of RMP Enterprise, uh, which is the company behind various brands and products in the early career space, such as Rate My Placement, Rate My Apprenticeship, uh, RMP Connect, and on-campus promotions. Um, so, Jack, why did we start this podcast? Uh, good question. Why did we start this podcast? Um, actually, uh, the podcast came about uh, this time last year, didn't it? Yeah. So we were sitting at the ISE conference at the Celtic Manor, sitting out on the terrace. And how long have we known each other? Ten years, something like that? Mm -hmm. And um, we realized that we're having all these really interesting conversations with people. Um, and often those conversations are one-on-one. -on -one, and you don't necessarily always get to share that information or those conversations with a wider audience. And we thought, actually, um, it would be really good fun. We could meet loads of cool people, which we have. We have, definitely. Really cool yeah. places. Um, and um, we thought we'd be able to share some of those things. So that's what we've been doing for the last year. Um, how many have we done? Yeah, two series? two series through. So we've yeah. done uh, a couple of series. I guess we've just interviewed loads of different people. So whether it's been employers, uh, agencies, uh, universities, training providers, suppliers, suppliers, basically anyone in the early career yeah. space, we just want to bring everyone together in hopefully a fun, different platform, uh, which makes it interesting to listen to. A um, couple of examples we've listened to. Uh, Someone we spoke to who was really good. I mean, lots of people we've spoken to have been really good. <laughs> See him in the room. Um, there's been, I think, one, if you haven't heard any, there's been one with Claire England from Jones Lang LaSalle, which is all about the ethnic pay gap. Yeah, uh, that's a good, I think that's a good example of the type of thing we were trying to bring about. So everyone's heard of the gender pay gap. Um, nobody's really talking about the ethnic pay gap, but it's likely to um, be something that most businesses, well, more, you know, large businesses will have to report on within 24 months. So it's about you know, bringing those things to life and um, helping people understand things. And um, today we're going to be talking about the wider early career space. Yes, what does the wider early career space mean, Jack? Uh, what does it mean? So um, lots of organizations, as people in this room, many people um, are employers, and um, a lot of what people do focuses around the ISC, which is a fabulous organization. Um, but sometimes when you hear conversations from employers, um, sometimes people are trying to reinvent the wheel. So they're talking about things that are already done by other organizations, there's already other networks that exist. And um, we felt that people should be aware of some of these different organizations so that they could use them, and it could actually have some really big um, shortcuts in, in terms of what they do. Yeah, I think we've mainly focused on the schools market, because I think in the university market, there's quite a few that are already established. Yeah. The likes of uh, AgCAS, Asset, PlaceNet. There's lots of, lots of networks like that that are, everyone will know more of. So we've picked a few that hopefully you won't have heard of. Okay, so who are we going to be talking about? Who are today, we going to be speaking about? Well, firstly, actually, when that works. Oh, it doesn't really work. For anyone who's listening, <laughs> we're just trying to get the slides to flick through. So we're just going to. Well, I can just tell you the ones. It's four organisations. 
Um, we've got ELP. Oh, okay. Some, uh, some, some stats from the podcast oh, so far. Yeah. Five, five stars. Five star ratings. <laughs> 11 listens a day. Um, so here are, the, here are the four organizations that, oh yeah, God, he really wants to get into the four organizations, doesn't he? So we really like to hear from you guys as we're going through the podcast if you've got questions. So if you get your phones out and you go to earlycareers.co forward slash ISE, you can submit any questions that you'd like to ask and we can take those as we're, we're going along. We're going to have it later where you can ask questions as well. But if you've got a question, either you don't really um, feel like saying it in front of other people or maybe you feel it's silly or whatever, you can just submit that um, and we'll be able to um, answer those um, questions for you. And so here are the four organizations that we're going to be looking at today. So who have we got, Ollie? We have uh, ALP, uh, pronounced ALP, not ALP, uh, the AOC, CDI, and UVAC. Um, so we're going to talk about these people, uh, or these organizations, uh, lots of acronyms. So we'll try and uh, reduce the acronyms and yeah. explain in a bit more detail who they are and what they do. Should we quick, do a quick um, overview, and then we'll do a bit of a deep dive and talk about them in a bit more, bit more detail? Yeah. So ALP uh, are effectively the ISE for training providers. Um, they've got about 1,000 members. OK, and put that in context, what's 1,000 of? 1,000 is about 2,500 training providers out there. Yeah. Uh, and I guess a thousand is a good proportion yeah. of those. They started very much with the independent training providers and are now moving into more, I guess, employers, uh, employer training providers, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's university training providers, yeah, anyone else too. But they're really trying to expand their remit. Um, but like I say, big, big focus on just the training provision. Yeah, okay. Next up, we've got the AOC, probably the organization people uh, are most likely to have heard of, perhaps. Can we test that? Anyone, anyone? heard of AOC? Couple of I'd people, five or six. For the listeners, that's five people out of out of a thousand. So, <laughs> <laughs> don't even need the can laughter. Oh, thank you very much. Um, so, the AOC, yeah, Association of Colleges. So, this yeah. is the body that represents um, all of the colleges. There's um, about 300 colleges in the UK, uh, a little bit less, and most of those are represented um, by the AOC. About 95 percent. 95 percent represented by this uh, organization, which I think is, is massive. I think when we spoke was it like yesterday, the ISC, I think mm -hmm. maybe this morning, actually, Tom spoke about there were something like 75% of the Times Top 100 that were ISC members. Right. And they were obviously very proud of that, trying to grow that. The AOC have already got 95% yeah. of all the colleges, all part of their network already. So it's a very well-established uh, network of colleges. Yeah. Then we've got the CDI, which is the Careers Development Institute. Yeah. Sort uh, of the ISC for careers provision. The theme here, they're all the ISC of. Yeah, just to give it, make it work. Um, so they're actually fairly new, only been going about six years, but uh, they're actually very well uh, set up, and we'll discover mm -hmm. them in a bit more detail a bit later. Um, but they've got about 5,000 members as well uh, yeah. in six years, which is pretty decent. And then the final one is, is UVAC, um, which is the, um, the one that I actually knew the least about um, before I got involved <laughs> in this. And the super special, they've been around for the longest, they've been around for 20 years, these guys, a really long time. Um, and these guys are specialists in um, higher and degree apprenticeships. They describe themselves as the voice for degree apprenticeships. So they're going to be pretty, um, um, pretty interesting organization for us to consider. Okay, so um, should yeah. we take a deep dive? Yeah, I guess that gives you a bit of an overview of who they are and what they do. We're going to spend about 20 minutes going through each of them, uh, give you a bit more detail, probably talk. And we've got some interviews we've had from previous podcasts, which we'll try and play. Hopefully, it'll pick up on the mic. Um, if you have any questions, obviously, use the form. Um, and yeah, we'll have some questions at the end. Yeah. Um, where should we start? Yeah, let's start. Let's start with ELP, right? 
Elp. Yes. Yes. We used to think it was called A Elp until we met Simon and had Simon on the show. And he explained that it was actually Elp. Some of you may have um, listened to Simon on the podcast course, but you may, may have seen Simon as well at the, um, the ISC apprenticeship conference earlier in the year. He's in one of, he was on one of the panels. So Simon Ashworth, he's the chief policy officer for Elp. Uh, we interviewed him in series two of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, and let's hear directly from Simon when we said, hi, Simon, what's Elp and what do you do? So we have a number of employer providers, employers, endpoint assessment organisations. Uh, but yeah, so a part of our role is to lobby government, but also inform our members. You know, um, they're just as busy as well, kind of delivering these apprenticeships and working with employers. Uh, so absolutely, it, um, you know, one of the big challenges is lots of information comes out of government, but mm. um, how do you assimilate that and actually give some really sort of sharp, short, sharp, important messages about there's going to be a change here in policy and what yeah. do you need to do to evolve your business? And sometimes employers and providers get caught out, which is obviously not great for everyone when yeah. there's a, something like that happens. So um, they're the go-to organisation basically for training providers, right? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so how, um, how can you work with them as an employer? Can you work? Um, mainly around kind of guidance, I'd say, policies, yeah. Uh, speci specifically around funding. Okay. Um, so last year there was a 500 million pound overspend. Half a billion, wow. Half, so half a billion pounds overspend from apprenticeship levy. Yeah. Um, Which basically means we're spending way more than we thought we were going to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't need to be an economist to work that out. That's quite a lot of yeah. money uh, to be overspending. Um, and that's due to a couple of things. Yeah, what is that? Um, mainly due to you've got uh, fewer uh, overall starts. I think the aim was to have three million apprenticeships by 2020. That has slowed down slightly. Yeah, I but think we're two on quality. Okay, so yeah. it's different. Yeah, I think the three million was just made up by a minister. It's three million sounds good. I don't yeah. just go in for that. Um, and what's also, the other problem? Because uh, the second one is um, the higher level. Yeah. So high level apprenticeships, uh, there's a greater cost involved. Yeah. So uh, for like level two, it's about four grand. So some are, yeah, very low. And then say so you did a solicitor apprenticeship, which is band 31 or whatever it is, I think it is, um, 27,000. Yeah. So there's a huge difference. So if 10 people are doing a band 31 uh, degree of apprenticeship, solicitor apprenticeship, for example, yeah. then that's costing you 270,000. And 10 people are doing some level two apprenticeship, that's costing you 40,000. So there's a big difference in the cost. And that's why there's been such a big overspend. Yeah, I think uh, the government probably didn't plan for as many high-level apprenticeships or degree-level apprenticeships to, to go through. Yeah, I think they also thought there'd be a bit more negotiation, right? So I think the plan was that um, um, training providers would, would negotiate a bit on the price. So the government would say, oh, this, um, this standard um, should cost £8,000 to deliver this standard. And then people would negotiate a little bit on that price. But, but people no then decided, well, hang on a minute. I actually just want to pay the price. The government said it should cost 8,000. I don't really want someone who says they can do it for four. It's like getting discount dental work or discount plastic surgery. <laughs> you just want to pay the full price, right? <laughs> um, for those of you that get plastic surgery, make sure you pay full price, get the right stuff. Yeah, don't get a voucher. Um, uh, another challenge with this is that prediction for um, that overspend we talked about with the 500 million, uh, that's, going to, that's going to treble by 2021. So the prediction okay. isn't for that to rein in. So why does that, that matter to, to anyone? Well, like, they're just spending more, right? So they always, uh, government always overspends, right? It will do for a while. I don't think it will spend overspend forever. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things we looked at, and one thing that Alpha really looked doing quite a lot of lobbying about, which kind of Simon mentioned, is there's quite a lot of um, MBA apprenticeships for people who are being upskilled and reskilled, and these people are on sometimes six-figure salaries. Yeah. They're getting funded to do an apprenticeship. Yes. Yeah, and really you think actually though, there's still, I think Simon mentioned, there's about 40% of young people uh, still 
doing GCSEs and not getting uh, English yeah, and mad, maths. Mad stat, right? So that's 40%. Yeah. Yet you're with the government's funding people on six-figure salaries to do apprenticeships. So it's not quite panned out exactly how the government intended. Obviously, it's great to upskill and reskill people, but in terms of why, why they're overspending, that's just a reason how and why. So ALP are obviously very keen to gather all this information from uh, employers, all these case studies, pulling that knowledge and bringing it back into one kind of lobbied case. And I think the important thing is to look at um, the agenda that they're pushing. So some of the things that ALP talk about, they talk about perhaps funding should be cut for degree apprenticeships. That's HE and that shouldn't be um, part of what, um, you know, what the levy should be spent on. And that's going to have a big impact because the government um, meets with ALP, they make recommendations to the government. So if that's the angle they're going for and you've just set up a degree apprenticeship program, well then that could be um, slightly worrying for you. So I think that's why it's important to be involved with those organisations. And the second thing is, if you're involved with that organisation, you can help to shape the message. So if you don't agree with the, um, the way that ALP are lobbying you, or angling, you could always say, actually, I, I disagree with that. I think we should go for this angle. So I think it's going to keep you really informed about the market, what's going on. Yeah. The, the you can look at the direction of travel and you can potentially influence that direction of travel. Yeah, they've got quite a big employer community if you want to be part of that. They've got lots of support. Uh, they also do quite a lot of help with um, Ofsted, so oh, yeah. any inspection visits that you have or uh, any funding audits. They're very good at, I guess, helping you go through that because you might not have done that before. Yeah. Um, and also they do about three conferences a year, so they've obviously got lots of face-to-face -face stuff yeah. uh, as well. Yep. So, so that is ALP. Yeah, that's ALP. Um, next, the AOC, Association of Colleges, right? Yeah. Right, go on, Jack, talk to us. Um, I thought this would be the one that people would know the most about, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, well, they will do now. I yeah, they will do them. now. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, so let's get on with it. Um, <laughs> um, college is pretty interesting because many employers, when you talk to them, um, don't have a colleges strategy. They have a school strategy or they have an early career strategy. They don't have a separate one for colleges and schools. About 40% of employers do. So that's a little snippet from the latest research from All About Research, which will be released at the conference in the autumn. But it, it looks like some employers are developing a strategy for colleges and some aren't. I would suggest that most employers will be doing that in yeah. the future. And Is that based on anything, or just you think it's such I just a no-brainer to do so? Yeah, I think once you understand what's going on in colleges, yeah. once you get a bit more information, a bit better understanding, it would make a lot of sense for you to do it. People are doing stuff in colleges, right? But they just have one strategy. They just have an early. They're just doing the same thing in schools and colleges, and then doing the same messages and all that sort of stuff. Gotcha. So, but yeah. you should, you're suggesting we should do something different because colleges are quite similar to universities. Yeah. So they're so they're. In some ways, they're really similar to universities. In some ways, they're um, really similar to schools, but they're not like schools. They're different. <laughs> so you shouldn't have the same. You shouldn't have the same strategy. It doesn't work yeah, for it. It's okay. the same but different. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, and I think there's some really cool things when you look at the um, at, at the breakdown of the demographics of the students who are in colleges. Okay. So 35% um, of all people aged 16 to 18 go to college. That's versus 23% who are in school. So more of your core demographic, if you're looking at that early careers, are in colleges than they're in schools. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, also, um, they overrepresent many of the groups many employers want to reach. So um, BAME uh, is massively overrepresented. It's about 24% of um, college students are BAME. Okay, 24%. Yeah. And that compares to so national average of 14%. 14%. Yes. So that's so quite a lot more, isn't it? Yes, yeah, a lot more. It's a really significantly uh, larger. There's a slightly more people who have been on free school meals. Yeah. So about 16% of people who went to colleges would have been on free school meals when they were at school versus 13.6%, so a bit more, but still. <laughs> when you multiply that up, it's, it's pretty big. Yeah. And um, the other thing is that uh, they have loads of STEM students. It's almost 700,000 STEM students at colleges, 
So STEM, fame, and social mobility, for me, sound like three of the core things that you hear all the time, right? How often yeah. have you heard that? That people would like to reach those things. Like yeah. STEM, STEM females is the number one thing that I hear from people they would like to, to reach, right? Yeah. And colleges follow those um, types of people. So I think it makes a lot of sense for you to engage with colleges. Yeah. And I think you've got some advantage over a school. And the association colleges can help you. Colleges are way more better, way better organized. So, um, and they're massive. Some colleges are like 10 to 30,000 students. So as big as universities, yeah. they're enormous. And they have centralized career services. Um, so they're also, the AOC split into regional hubs. So if you, you know, not everyone's doing everything nationally, you might be doing something in a particular region. You can go into those networks. So you haven't got to create this new network. Schools, there's 5,000 secondary schools that you need to try and potentially reach out to. Less than 300, around about 300 colleges. So it depends on what you're trying to do, of course, but it could be a really cool avenue. Oh, it's gone off. Oh, well. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think um, yeah, that's what you can do. And you can become a corporate affiliate member with them, um, and you can reach out to them and just use their network that already exists and, and just learn from them. They run some conferences. I went to one of their conferences um, a couple of months ago. And super interesting, just really, really nice insights, understanding how you know, they get students into it and, and all that sort of stuff. So okay. that is the, the AOC. So there's quite a lot of detail on, the, on colleges then. Yeah. yeah. So we highly recommend it. Uh, and I think now we're sort of halfway through uh, the podcast, so it's probably time for the mid-pod jingle. <laughs> What's up next, Eli? Well, first, let's welcome back the audience. Welcome oh. back. Nice to see you all. Uh, up next, we're sort of halfway through, so we're going to look at the CDI. The CDI. Yes. Sounds um, like something from the police force. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't practice that bit, but yeah, it could be from the police force. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> the CDI uh, represents a range of careers professionals, um, at, like I say, thousands of schools <laughs> across the country. How many are we talking? How many? How many members? How many members? About, well, I said 5,000 members, so quite a big organisation for such a, a young organisation. Yep. So any, anyone who's interested in careers uh, within schools, so you're level four, uh, level six, and maybe those few career educationalists you have out there. Yeah. Um, so they do quite a lot of different work to help support um, careers professionals. So the main thing is to help them get qualified to the relevant level. If you've done, if you're working as in a careers providing role at a school, you would have gone through the CDI to do your um, training, your yep. tests, what yep. we're calling it. They do CPD as well, so you continue uh, professional development with them. Yeah, and so um, I think they do a lot of stuff. And we had, we had Jan on, right? Uh, was that the second series? Was that Janet was end of the second series, yeah. Yep. Um, and Janet, anyone, people may be aware of Janet, the careers defender, I think is her handle on, on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and she's had a really an amazing um, like background. So um, she sat on the council of the CDI, uh, she's one of the very small number of careers educationalists. She's been a careers advisor. She was a classroom teacher. Yeah. Um, she was one of the founding members of uh, Careers Week. Careers Week. Yeah. yeah. So um, really cool lady. Really cool podcast if you want to find out what's going on in schools and how you can you know, make more of that. <laughs> you need to finish that sentence there. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, so again, what, what Janet represented was the CDI, and I guess what they do, I think the fact having looked at actually what they do, they probably do more than most, I'd say, almost just as much as the ISC. So they'll do loads of different training, events, conferences. They also do webinars. They're probably the best setup as well for employers, right? What, better than the ISC? Oh, not for the, not the ISC. <laughs> but the be best setup in terms of a route to access them, right? Yes. Compared to some of those other organizations we spoke Compared about. Compared to the two we spoke about earlier. Yeah. I agree. So Janet was very much talking about um, 
I guess how, how it all kind of pulls together. So how they do so much different, um, I guess, support for all these um, careers providers, but they've also got to like try and maintain and develop their skills that they're doing as well, which is quite a difficult challenge for them. And also they've got to uh, integrate that theory they learn and put it into practice, which in a school is actually quite difficult. Um, Janet spoke a lot about how they engage with employers in a really uh, positive way. So they do lots of interview days, so where employers would go in and do um, I guess interviews with uh, mm -hmm. young people, uh, attending your classic careers fairs, uh, providing workplace visits was something she spoke about, and we'll touch yeah, on that in a sec. Work experience, um, remember that. And also she said like any other welcome, like any suggestions you've got, we'll happily take them on. She's really quite keen to uh, embed this. Um, and I guess in, in regards to workplace visits, uh, it got me kind of thinking, because mm. when, uh, in year 12, I did business studies uh, at school. And paid off, didn't it? Sorry. <laughs> really paid off. Uh, and when I was doing that, we, we was, um, I think we did a, an essay around like lean production or uh, efficiencies or something like that. Uh, we went to the Jaguar Land Rover factory in Coventry. And it wasn't actually a, a, a school thing, thing an organized yeah. thing. Like I went with my mum and we went around the factory and it was really, really interesting just to go and see how it was all put together. And it really helped inspire me with that essay. And I still remember having done it now. Um, that she was really pushing any kind of experiences like that because it's so different to what you get normally within a school. Yeah. And to be able to do that and take it out of the classroom, so it's just invaluable for them. I think she was also quite interested what she was saying about how that's changed. So probably most people, I, I certainly did year 11 work experience, you go for a week and you go and work in a firm. Yeah. And it used to be much better organized because the schools had money for that and they would pay an external organization. So everyone thought it was the careers advisor figuring it all out. It wasn't. They paid an external organization who went and did that. I think it was five or six thousand pounds a year to do that organization and then the funding got cut and then schools had to do it and that was obviously a bit of a nightmare because these people had no network in order to be able to do that properly and um, then they've changed it so you haven't, you haven't even got to do work experience anymore no um, and so um, that's a shame I think it is a shame um, so what Janet really highlighted I think was a couple of things and tips for employers uh, one was about providing resources um, both for schools and teachers on their website, so they're free to access. Uh, the good news is that cough is probably going to be in the podcast. So they can listen out for that when it goes live. Um, so one of them was McDonald's. Um, I'm not sure if McDonald's are in the room, but they have curriculum-linked challenges. And what we mean by that is they've got real-life situations that are presented at McDonald's that they then put in terms of content on their website. And the specific one was around business ethics, so anyone who's studying, let's say, business studies can go and look at this uh, resource, do the challenge, either send it into McDonald's mm. or actually they can just use it uh, within the school. But because it's curriculum linked, it's really helping support uh, the likes of anyone at CDI yeah. to then deliver really interesting uh, real life projects. I think it's touched on the, the, the important thing is, which is if you understand what schools are trying to achieve and the CDI are going to be able to help you translate that, it'll really help. So in terms of... Um, gaps before linking careers to the curriculum. Absolutely. That's a really great example. Absolutely. And it's worked out for McDonald's, right? So they were top employer 2019 in the school leaver awards. So clearly what they're doing is working. That's one of the examples of how you can Im embed that within a school. Yeah, indeed. Uh, one other one she mentioned was Shell. So they do the Bright Ideas Challenge. Uh, that's specifically for 11 to 14 year olds. Uh, what, what I really like about it is it's, the question is what will the world look like in 2050? Um, and you've got to get an 11 to 14 year old to try and work that out for us all. Uh, I've got no idea. Really. I would like to think that we'll be living on Mars 
and been able to fly to Australia in four hours with Virgin Galactic. That's what I'd like <laughs> to see. So, I don't know. Would, you, would you do that? Yeah. Quite expensive, isn't it? don't know. Depends on how many flights there are. <laughs> Just a lot of flights might be cheap, might it? I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Just supply and demand with flights, I yes. guess. So we'll stick with our day jobs before we go into any yeah, uh, flight issues. Um, so what we spoke with uh, Janet about uh, with Shell links quite nicely with what Helen was talking about in her podcast. Yes, Helen from British Airways. Indeed, yes. Uh, you lots of people probably know Helen, so she um, sits on the steering committee with the ISE, and uh, she was talking about some of the cool stuff that, that they do with with teachers. With teachers, yeah. So her podcast was entitled Apprenticeships, What's Going On Behind Closed Doors. And let's play you a little clip from that now, including also a little boo-boo from Jack, which I enjoyed. One of the things that we've started to, to do on a fairly low level is, is actually um, teacher work experience. Right, so cool. Where we sort of teach take-off days. We bring a group of teachers from across a different group of schools into the organisation. And for that day, they kind of experience... Um, a very sort of small snapshot of what the kind of wider work experience for their students would look and feel like. So they get to have a bit of an insight into what are the various careers and, and um, destinations that students could go down yeah. and experience that firsthand. And it's something we've done very, on a very small level at the moment, but actually it's had some really, really great successes with teachers being much more um, engaged with the with the industry and the opportunities yeah. that exist, but also feeling much better equipped to go back and share some of that. And I think you know that that's a that's a big shift for our industry as well. Is you know, we're not just communicating with the students anymore. Mm. Actually, often we're we're having much broader conversations about people who are likely to be able to influence some of those decisions. So educating parents and specifically educating teachers as well. Yeah, it's great. I really like those. Yeah, that's um, very cool. Call it a, so a take off day as well. Teacher take off day. I Classic. I haven't <laughs> you worked out yet because it's British Airways. Oh, I didn't actually, but <laughs> now I have. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Takeoff days. Jack didn't really get that. That was a plane. British Airways, you see. British Airways. See, see what they did. Yeah. Um, so, from the, the teacher takeoff days, um, we looked at why the CDI are then partnering with lots of um, employers and trying to do this a bit more uh, rigorously. Yeah. Um, mainly around the Gatsby benchmarks. Um, obviously what, the eight, what are they, Ollie? The, they are the eight standards, uh, which means career provision has a much more uh, clarity, clearer direction, and more, uh, I guess, accountability in terms of what provision they are providing. Yeah, and which are the ones that are most relevant in terms of, you know, what we're talking about when we're talking about employers and, and schools? Yeah, so out of the eight... And, and colleges. Four, five, and six are the ones. So we touched on it earlier. So four, linking curriculum uh, learning to careers, which I think McDonald's have obviously proven to do a really good job with that, uh, yeah. with what they're doing on their website. Uh, five is encounters with employers and employees. Uh, so anything like interview days, uh, going to the fairs, you obviously really value uh, that kind of activity as well. Um, and then six, probably my favourite of the Gatsby benchmarks, if you've got to get favourites, uh, experiences of workplaces. Mm -hmm. So as we talked about from a teacher perspective with BA, and also the school's perspective with uh, Jaguar Land Rover, kind of going into that business and actually experiencing the workplace firsthand. Yeah. So as a summary, I guess, summary is, if you're trying to reach careers advisors or understand what's going on in schools, you should be working with the CDI. It's very accessible to employers. They literally have every careers advisor there. Um, and I know that's a big part of what people are trying to do, is trying to reach out to those influencers. So there's an organization that represents those people. You can go straight to it. You don't need to really 
Uh, it's just very straightforward. Yeah. Uh, Janet also did mention there's a couple of things to look out for. So uh, when you're reaching out to schools, do not reach out to a careers advisor, level four. Oh, yeah. It's just not their, not their job to, to plan it all. It's their job to deliver it. And they're also very time poor. So contacting them during the day and hoping to get a response is going to be unlikely. So actually, the best thing to do is go to the level six, which is the careers leaders. They're the ones that actually plan, design the strategy, and actually execute that strategy. So yeah. you'll so much more success going there. So it's supposed to be that every school's supposed to list on there the careers lead. And um, that careers lead, about a third of careers leads are also careers advisors, but not all of them are. And then within the school, they all have a careers advisor, either level four or level six. The government wants them all to be level six, but they're currently a bit of a mixture. But most of the careers leads are senior, senior uh, management team. It's yeah. more strategy-based. And they're the ones you should be reaching out to in schools. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was the first one. Her second one, I'll actually let her explain, because it comes from her personal uh, experiences. I'll give you an example from my days of teaching. I received a phone call offering a workplace visit um, for year nine students. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Give me more information. When is it? Next Wednesday. Right. <laughs> and I think this was on the Friday. <laughs> For me, I have to get paperwork okayed, printed out, sent out to parents, parents to sign permission, risk assessments done, all before a young person yeah. can go out. So what's a good sort of timeline? What's the lead time on something like that if someone is thinking of doing a, a, something similar? Lastminute.com is a fortnight minimum. Right. Okay. And, what would be, and what would be ideal yeah. if it was... Yeah, so I think a fortnight minimum is probably pushing well, it. Which also told us, well, this is amazing. Schools plan their timetables two years ahead. So in terms of being able to take kids off the timetable, you know, not everything, but lots of it is planned two years ahead. So if you want to be able to take kids off the timetable, you really need to be getting into their uh, rhythm of things. Anyway, so... They can yeah. help you translate some of that and stuff, right? Yeah, and just making sure you're giving them enough, enough time. If you want to offer something, it might feel great. You're trying really hard and trying to help the school, but you've got to give them enough time to factor it into the curriculum, which they're really happy to do so. It just can't be done on a whim. And obviously, like, she's speaking about the paperwork you have to do. You know, you don't even think about that sometimes, but obviously to get them out of school, you have to get signed paperwork back and forth, and uh, it's always done probably pen and paper rather than electronically. Yeah. So worth being aware of. Um, so CDI was a bit of a mammoth one. Um, should we go on to UVAC? Yeah, let's go on to UVAC, yeah. Um, so UVAC, the University Vocational Awards Council, been around for a long time, 20 years, um, and um, more relevant to us in the last few years since the advent of degree apprenticeships. So they describe themselves as the voice for degree apprenticeships. Uh, they represent about 90 um, universities. To put that in context, it's about 130 universities, so pretty big penetration. Um, and so low, though it has a smaller membership than some of the other organizations, it covers quite a large part of the, of the market. And these guys do a lot more research, so research and lobbying. And um, these are probably the best organization if you're doing, obviously, a degree apprenticeship to be involved what's going on. So they do a lot of research. So they've just got a grant, a 100,000 pound grant. 100,000 pound grant. Yeah, to look at um, the, um, the future of degree apprenticeships. And like I mentioned earlier with the ELF stuff, these are all the things that will shape policy decision. And I think it's kind of good right at the moment. So at the moment in the early career space, there's gonna be some forgiveness within businesses, but that goodwill will run out in a couple of years, whereby if you're, you, know, you could potentially look quite silly if you set up or planning on setting up a degree apprenticeship program, 
and then the funding gets pulled for that in two years or three years or whatever it is, and you don't see that direction of travel, or you don't even highlight that risk to the business, they get, people in your organization, if they d do become aware that this information was available, you can look pretty silly if you didn't see where that was going. Yeah. And I, I don't think, you can be naive for a certain period of time, but I think you do need to know what's happening. And these guys are leading, the leading research, which is gonna shape policy, and I think that's gonna be I think that's going to be a really important part of it. Yeah. Actually, going back to what we were talking earlier about the, the CDI, I was talking to Jan Ellis, who's the chief executive of uh, the CDI, and she was um, talking about how she'd been at um, the cabinet office uh, last week. I think she was there with Tristram, Tristram actually. And um, they were talking about, you know, um, the career strategies come to an end at the end of the five years. What's the next career strategy going to be? Because that's going to affect everybody here. So we need to know about these um, things and what's going on. And these organizations right. translate that. So instead of us having to read vast reports and loads of stuff, you've got to sign up to four newsletters and you basically get all the key information that, that you need. Yeah, rather than reading a 300-page orga report. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very helpful. So you mentioned the five-year career strategy that's coming to an end. Yes. Do you know what date that is? No. <laughs> this year, I think. This yeah. year? Oh, yeah, right. probably so Chris quite soon. knows, I guess. But, nah. um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so that's one. No, another interesting fact about um, uh, degree apprenticeships in universities is that... Um, Apprenticeships, the way that you um, uh, judge the, uh, the training is based on Ofsted reports, right? So Ofsted go in and they um, rate training providers. Apart from degree apprenticeships who sit outside that, because they're part of the university system, they are um, rated by the QAA, which is the Quality Assurance Agency, which is separate. So degree apprenticeships are very different, and I think the government probably sees them as being very different. I think the policy seems to be moving in a direction that they're going to be quite different. So. I think if it's part of your overall strategy as a business, you, you, should, definitely, you should definitely know what's going on and, and know where to go. Gotcha. Um, All right. Well, hopefully, that's kind of four very different member-led organizations, hopefully you've never heard of before, if you certainly haven't heard of all four of them. Uh, I hope that's given you a bit of an insight to maybe look a bit further and maybe uh, engage with them. I've got one more, actually, Oli. You do have one more? Uh, I think people also should consider a little bit more as well what they can get out of the ISE. So, of course, we're all ISE members. We're all here enjoying the conference. They get to do some great stuff. But um, sometimes when, when you speak to people, um, uh, I'm not sure people always um, take advantage of the full benefits of the organization. So there's a huge amount of research that they do. They've got one of the um, best researchers in the industry um, working on it, Tristram Hooley. And he provides masses of really, really interesting data, which people should take advantage of. We can all access that. Um, another thing that people are not sure necessarily uh, no, but you, as part of your membership, you get um, a consultancy with the ISE in terms of their research. So, you know, there's 200 hours of consultancy right here, I think. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah Tristan's, nod Tristan's sort of nodding, but thinking, yeah, I don't really want to do 200 hours. <laughs> but that's something that we, you can take advantage of. If you're in a business case or whatever it might be, you can take advantage of that. You, you're paying for that membership. That information is already there. And there's the steering committee, the apprenticeship steering committee. And I think... Um, so I think Helen and, and, and Simon, uh, Simon, yeah, they've got a session later on where they're going to yeah. be talking about that. But it'd be cool if you could plug into that a little bit more. So uh, as organizations, we could talk about what things we would like, topics we'd like to talk about, and to hear a bit more about what, what they're doing. Cool. Um, all right. Uh, we have 10 minutes left, which is a perfect chance to reach out to the floor uh, for any questions. We also Should have we questions check? on the form. Should we see if what's what, what people have fed out? Oh. Here we go. Be surprised we've got questions. Uh, is Thanks. that a new shirt, Ollie? 14 questions. Four, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> go on. Some interesting In fact, questions. We'll get a number from someone. Uh, do you want to give us a number? Six. <sighs> Sixth question. 
Okay, what is your view on the ALP position, the apprenticeship levy should not be used for degree apprenticeships rather than targeted at levels two to five? Uh, well, one, so I think it's quite complicated because, um, actually it's not that complicated, I think it's fairly straightforward. There's not enough, there's not enough money. So somewhere there either needs to be more money going into the system to pay for the levy, so, or, or they need to cut somewhere. So you've got a couple of options. You could say one option, an easy one, is say let's cut degree apprenticeships because um, this is HE and separate to the other things. Or the other thing, one of the things that Simon suggested is you could create protected groups. So lots of apprenticeships are given to people already in a business who have already got a job and um, are in there. So you could say, um, what we'll do is we'll protect the funding so it can be used exclusively by people aged, whatever, 18 to 24 or, or something like that. So um, th the problem needs to be solved because there's not enough money. H how they solve that, I think they're still trying to um, figure out what that will be, but there's a few different suggestions. So one is you, you scrap it, two is you find more money from somewhere, um, or three is the, um, what's the other one I just said? Oh, I wasn't listening. Oh, uh, <laughs> I was reading the questions. Okay. So, yeah, so, um, so you've got two great reasons there, and we'll yeah. come back to the third if yeah. we need to. There's been some really good other questions. Uh, can I sit with you guys at dinner tonight? Really good question. Yeah, yeah really more good. than welcome to. Uh, when does season two start? Already finished. We did say that actually earlier. Yeah, it's so embarrassing. Someone we'll wasn't listening, person. were they? Uh, which one of you is which again? Oh, God. <laughs> is it like Anton Deck, where Deck is and always on the left and, and is always on the right? Well, I'm the little one. Ollie's the big one, so yeah. easy to remember. <laughs> Glad we clarified that for the people. Yeah. Uh, let's have a more sensible question, um, which would be. Uh, <laughs> I was just reading the funny ones. Okay. Um, why do you think organisations, HR people, don't know about these associations and institutions? Uh, Good yeah. question. Um, I think it's because um, why would you? Why would you go? Out? You're not going to necessarily go out of your way to uh, to find those uh, organisations. They've got unusual acronyms, acronyms that are not you know super easy to find, and things are very employer focused. So most people, their main focus of their orientation will be around the the ISE. And um, many of these organisations are also um, quite segmented. They don't interact hugely with each other. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a good example of that in kind of all, uh, certainly in the university space, of um, almost competing sometimes. And you think, right, well, this is the placement, the two placement organisations. I wasn't going right? to mention them, but right. you now you've mentioned them. Yeah. Uh, they do compete occasionally, and you think, why do we not all just come together? We're all trying to do the same thing to inspire young people to take the first steps in their career. We all want to do that in the most effective way. But often people can get, uh, get it's difficult, I think. Some people don't like... Yeah, people have got their own territories, don't they? Territories is a good term. Yeah, yeah. And, and they have particular issues, and they think about things in particular ways, but I think it would be good to get some of those organisations into the different conferences that are all running. Yeah. And that's what I think that's what they did at the, the ISC Apprenticeship Conference. They brought in Simon. So I think those sorts of things are good, and I think we should have um, more of those. Um, and there may well be other organisations as well that me and Ollie happen to not have come across yet, but they're the key ones that we could... Uh, we were able to find. Indeed. Uh, going to need your face for... Oh, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, what's next? Uh, other good questions. Uh, how is your new frying pan, Jack, and was it worth the investment? Yeah, it was worth the investment. Uh, this is a reference to um, an earlier episode when I had bought a frying pan as I arrived um, to the show and had it on there. It's a fabulous never-stick frying pan that never sticks, which I'd highly recommend. Yeah, joined us on the show with, uh, with Ash, made course. Ash Heaver, yeah, it was a great one. Yeah, we were talking about um, volume recruitment and the lessons you can learn from that. So in volume recruitment, you get this, you get this um, uh, 
great benefit where you can do really big variance testing. So you can get thousands and thousands of people to go through a process and you can very quickly see what works and what doesn't. So we were looking at highlighting some of those lessons that Indeed. we can see. Called it the recruiters so, laboratory. But we've got just five minutes left, probably yes. four minutes left now. Uh, so and does anyone have a question? Does anyone have any questions that they would like to or, or rate? There are, there are some more questions, but I need your face again. Okay, yeah. Um, um, can the IC come onto the talk show and talk about future apprenticeships? Perhaps set us up in a nose hold bar with <laughs> no hold, no holds barred fight with Elp. We've actually had the ISE on the podcast. We had Tristram and Thomas on. Um, not talking specifically about um, apprenticeships. We're talking about as part of it. We're talking about the research. Renegs. Yeah, renegs and rejects. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was it. Um, I guess. Well, there's been a rise, I think, was it from like 5% to 9% to 7% to renegs um, in the course of a year, and how that, that growth has been, I guess, accentuated by, I guess, a range of things. We're trying to put a finger on it as to how and why that is. Is it part of the assessment process being more digital? Um, I guess loads of different reasons why and how it could, could happen, but that's just a trend that came out, I think, in the latest ISE survey. Hmm. Um, somebody asked, uh, most recommended podcast? I think it depends on what you're looking yeah. to achieve, really. <laughs> Peter Crouch podcast is pretty good if you like football. Uh, recommend Tailenders if you're into cricket. Um, the Wonky uh, do a good podcast, very much around higher education. Yeah. Um, and I've heard something about an Ollie and Jack show, but it so sounds yeah. bollocks to me. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, swearing, so naughty. <laughs> um, um, other questions. Um, oh, what efforts have you done to build relationships with these associations? What do you recommend employers do? Great question. So um, we've spoken to all of those organizations um, and all about group. We work with several of those organizations. We have partnerships in place with them because it just makes sense. And most of them are fairly straightforward. So some are easier to work with. I don't mean in terms of the people or anything like that, but they've got something set up. So CDI is very set up. Yeah. It's very straightforward. You can go on there and you can work with them straight away. Whereas say like UVAC, there are less They've been a body that's, I think, been very separate to a lot of other stuff for 20 years, and they've become very popular and hadn't really had very much interest from employers, and that's happened much more recently. And so I think they're still trying to figure out exactly how that will be. And we've had, um, uh, so we've had Janet on, who represents partly the CDI, and we've had Simon on. We're going to have Jan Ellis on from um, the CDI. She's the chief executive. She's going to come on, and then we'd hopefully get Adrian from, from UVAC to, uh, to come on too, and Kirsty Lord from the association colleges would also be great. So we're looking to um, actually go into more detail with all those different organizations. Yeah, so we'll be, I guess, posting those podcasts. And obviously, if you also want an introduction, just get in touch, happy to, yeah. happy to do so. Series three, we've got some good ones coming up. Big series three, Jack. Claudia Harris, three. the CEO of the Careers and Enterprise Company. So that'll be quite exciting to see what they're planning on doing. Uh, just oh. been invited to Asia as well, haven't we? Last yeah. night, invited to Asia. So keep <laughs> keeping you on that one. Potentially. <laughs> Um, and final question. Okay, yeah, one final question. Um, given that employers are paying a huge amount of additional money into the levy, how can the government cry poverty? Um, <laughs> Great question. <laughs> I think um, that uh, it just didn't work exactly as they yeah. planned it to work, the, the way that the provision would work and the way that they, they thought there'd be much more negotiation and they thought there'd be less uptake of the higher level and more expensive apprenticeships. So I just think that's... Just, they just didn't predict what might happen. Yeah, but also I think they've become so popular at the higher levels that we're now seeing also all the universities getting involved in offering degree apprenticeships. Yeah. And even um, companies are now offering some really high-level uh, apprenticeships. And you think, actually, that's, it's great that that's happening because it's a different route into a business. 
but I think actually the intention was very much for levels two and three, making sure 17 to 18 year olds were actually getting yeah. into education and sorry, carrying on education and going into into work. And yeah, and I don't know, maybe, maybe things will change with the T level, so they're you know sort of starting yeah. uh, next year. So we'll see if that perhaps influences the the market. I think that's probably what I we've think got that's, time that for. Is our time. So, so we'd like to thank everyone firstly for being part of the first ever uh, live um, Jack and Ollie show, Early Careers podcast. It's been great being here. Thank you so much. It's been great. Really like it. I've been Jack. And I've been Ollie. And that is the Early Careers Podcast. <laughs> and it stops. Uh, yes, yeah, so all thank you all very much. Please, you're welcome to uh, obviously subscribe to the podcast. Uh, do share it with anyone who you think would find it useful. And come and grab us if you've got any questions. Thank you. Thanks. For all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show.